as a global co-working and conference community, we've had our fingers on the pulse of co-working since 2012, and we've connected thousands of operators, both in person and online. On the Juicy Podcast, we talk with the people making it happen day in and day out. Let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Juicy Podcast. I'm so excited to have Asia Hawk with us this morning. She is the, hold on, I wrote it down, VP of Talent Marketing at MBO Partners and a friend of mine. She's also on the Juicy Workplace Trends Podcast, but we wanted to talk to her today and hear more about her journey and how she's doing. So since we last spoke, there was a whole snowpocalypse event and in Texas. So I thought it was appropriate, even though we spoke very recently to say, how are you? Well, it was a challenging week, Liz. As I know it was for you in Austin, it was a very challenging in Dallas. And it certainly kind of underlined that we're in a time of extreme flux and uncertainty at every level of our society. And I think that's while I was sitting huddled by the fireplace in like six layers without any power thinking, how did this happen to me and my family and everyone? around us, that's what I kept replaying. You know, we have been talking at MBO with a group of our consultants that are part of the MBO Advantage program about what the first quarter of 2021 looks like. And we had a really, really rich discussion about this topic on the front of creating some content around the concept of resilience. Mm -hmm. And it kept playing back in my head. I was like, oh my goodness, what they said is so true. It's not just true for business. Like we have to be so personally resilient when we wake up and there's extreme weather or extreme um, disease, you know, with COVID, and it's not going away anytime soon. So we have to almost operate through this time of uncertainty with uncertainty being the only core principle. So, so I feel like it was a good lesson. Would I want to repeat it? Absolutely not. But you know, this week, it's suddenly um, sunny and 60 degrees. And then we had hail yesterday. So clearly, we're getting ready for a world in which things will not look the same week to week, at least in Texas. I don't know about anywhere else. <laughs> Well, you know, it's so interesting because I agree with you. There's all this uncertainty. It's really hard to make any plans. Forecasting is kind of out the door in a way. And I think we're all like just ebbing and flowing. You know, there's weeks that I'm pretty good. And there's weeks that like I just wake up every day with like a little bit of fear. And it's just, it's interesting. And I think it's really good to talk about it because it normalizes it, you know, we're just going through such a bizarre time. But I'm also this just eternal optimist. And like just seeing the numbers go down, even though nobody really knows why, I'm just like, oh my God, is it going to just turn around and just like, what if it all just flip flopped into great news and more good news and more great news and more good news? Like, why couldn't it? You know, I mean, it's just, I think we've, we have to be so cautious about having hope right now because our hopes have been dashed so many times. How do you handle it? You know, I think that it is about your mindset. So I agree with you. And I too am a glass half full and optimist by nature. I'm also kind of a planner, like a what if, what if that and sort of playing out each of those scenarios, both in personal life and in business life. And I think that's a very valuable tool. It's not to get fixated on one outcome uh, or one approach to the outcome you want is maybe a better way to put it. Mm -hmm. It is to define an outcome and then be very flexible as to the tools, the 
budget, the method by which you're going to get there. Because if you are, you stay focused on the prize, which is that optimistic, like I'm going to grow, I'm going to develop, I'm going to do better. You know, I'm going to serve my customer in a more meaningful way. And I'll, I'll use an example that has given me just extreme optimism that really came out of, it's fresh off the presses as of last night. And I would love to share it with your community. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. Small Business Administration announced, and it only went live this Wednesday, so we're speaking Friday morning, that there is going to be an exclusive application period for solo business owners or those with less than 20 employees to access paycheck protection loans under the second tranche of the CARES Act. That's a huge Huge. development. I mean, for people that have lost business income, and by the way, it's significant because, and this is from speaking with some experts, and MBO has created a resource page, by the way, which I will share with you after this podcast. And I would love for the co-working operators in your network to access that content on the SBA site and get going on getting their applications in so that they can take advantage of anywhere from 20,000 to 42,000 in loans, but just by knowing what to do and in what order to do it, understanding that nobody knows what's actually going to happen. It's a very, very tight time period that they've established. Literally from the 24th until March 10th is the exclusive period. And then there's a generalized application that exists through March 31st. What I've learned from speaking to some experts in the field and Gene Zeno really in our in our company, our founder and CEO is sort of the foremost expert on supporting the self-employed. And so he really has driven us to think about this along with Miles, our CEO, is really that you need to understand the details as a business owner and knowing that content can position you to access that economic benefit. And the government has specifically said that they want to support gig workers. They want to support like the single person entity. So if you think about co-working um, operators, that's their community, yeah. right? So it's not just about the operator themselves. By the way, that could be less than a 20-person mm-hmm. firm, and therefore they have an opportunity to access funds to keep their business going in a time mm-hmm. when physical spaces were closed. But also they can turn around and educate their community and say, look, this is information, whether or not you're able to get it together, whether or not you have your tax stuff set up right, you should know that this exists because by the way, what if the government says, okay, you know what? The time period was too tight. We're not going to get enough applications in. The lenders are confused. We're going to extend it. We hope they do that. Mm-hmm. We don't know if they're going to do that, but you want to be ready if they're going to yeah. do that because the funds are there until they run out. Mm-hmm. So um, to me, that's incredibly optimistic because it says, I had a really difficult year. I thought nobody cared about people in my size of firm. They're way more focused on the big firms and getting them back to work. When in fact, there's been advocacy, but people that maybe we don't directly connect with, but are looking at the data that's created by companies like MBO around independent work and by other organizations and saying, there's something here. We need to support this 35 to 40 million um, group of contributors to our workforce, and we need to do it the right way. So so that's the kind of opportunity, like to be able to capture that and market it and share it and create Mm -hmm. conversations, but keep the expertise where it sits. 
assets. The SBA is the expert or the lender is the expert, but we just want to get you ready to go have the right conversation with your lender or read the SBA rules right. Right. Yeah, definitely. And just for those who aren't familiar with MBO, can you just give us a real quick overview of who MBO is and what you guys do? Absolutely. So MBO has been in the business of supporting independent professionals and their connection to large enterprises as for more than 20 years. Now, the company was founded by Gene Zeno, who, as I mentioned, is an advocate and a leading expert for independent workers and, and somebody and who's had a connection. Speaker. And a juicy speaker. So the reason I mentioned him is his connection to the community is very deep. And uh, it is a company that has sort of two sides to its business model. The first side is that we work very closely with some of America's leading Fortune 500 companies and act as a clearinghouse and a resource for them to engage in the right way with independent workers. And that could be small firms, vendor-based firms, all the way down to the solo contractor or consultant. It's very challenging for individuals to gain the keys to the kingdom and to be able to work with large companies on an even scale with like a large agency, you know, that invests in setting up business insurance, compliance, contracts, payment systems. Solo contractors can't do that on their own, but companies want to engage with them. And so they use MBO as a vehicle to make sure that they're bringing people in the right way and capturing the holistic way that they're engaging with independent workers. And so we're that door that independents are sent through by very, very large firms in the professional services place, in the healthcare industry, in the financial sector, and many more spaces. We also have a history of working directly with small, talented, independent consulting practice owners, people like you and many others that have expertise to offer that they want to monetize on the open market. But again, they're looking for a method, like how do I have a fast pass into companies? How do I set myself up with the right business insurance, which is packaged into our direct offering, which is called MBO Advantage for successful growth consultants? And we're looking at other ways to extend and operate and engage with people directly beyond that. But that's our core offering today. But it's one historically that has been a big part of our business. So what that allows you to do as an independent is focus on your expertise and then let us manage the rest of how you get engaged, how you get paid, how your contract is reviewed. It's really powerful. Yeah, it really is. And as somebody that has done multiple contracts and gigs without MBO, it's so confusing. It's so complex. And we recently joined as Deco Group because mm -hmm. we're like, oh my gosh, if I, this is amazing assistance for us. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a really good point that there's lots of co-working operators out there doing gig work and consulting. And yes, a lot of their people inside the co-working spaces need MBO. So it's just... And, and, you know, I will right now commit to getting a blog post up so that you guys can directly connect with MBO because I just think it's such a great value for all those gig workers and independents out there. And the reason that the government is paying attention is the size. I mean, you guys count it in the state of independence and really highlight it. And that's probably one of the reasons it's even happening. We, we really have seen ourselves on that journey for, for a decade now, yeah. which is when we started State of Independence. And Liz, you and I were together when I came and presented yep. at the first Juicy Conference where we, I think we were in Atlanta and a group of us broke away and, and talked about co-working as a nascent kind of industry. And I presented their State of Independence survey results, which had come out for the first time that year. And now we're 10 years in. No, and it's dramatic growth 
growth of the sector. You, you mentioned this idea of the co-working owner having um, sort of essentially a side hustle as an yeah. expert. And I want to talk about the flexpert stuff because that was really interesting when you posted <laughs> that. But the rise of the side hustle is a real thing. And I'm kind of looking at the data to give you just mm-hmm. the numbers. So the number of independents that were side hustling in 2015 was about 9.1 million. This is coming mm-hmm. from our 2020 state of independence data. And it's now at 15.8 million in the US that are side hustlers. And we think that's going to grow. Yeah. And so what, and we've talked about this on the state of independence podcast at a great discussion with Arun, who's a professor at NYU Stern School, who's an expert on independent work in the sharing economy. And, you know, he really believes that we're at a point where we are going to need to kind of account for this as a part of every mid-career pivot that we make as an individual in our careers and that career development and growth has to do with continuous learning and then being able to share out that expertise and monetize it. So I think that the side hustle is a big and real thing. And so is another really interesting trend that I think I'd like to point for working owners to think about for their oper- for their community, mm-hmm. which is the rise in teaming. This is informal collaboration, independent to independent, which is something that is sort of a nascent need, like meaning people want to get together and work together. But unless they create an entity and become partners, there's no good way to do that today. But it's growing. This business building through building virtual teams is growing. And we see it as a really key trend. And we have technical ways that we can make that work. So a corp and an LLC with two different arrangements can kind of come together and present one face to the customer to team on a project, but keep everything separate and independent Mm. where none of that has to be revealed to each other. They don't have to create a firm together and do some of the more complex things that sort of almost take the time and take away from just selling, which is honestly what we think every independent should be doing at every minute of every day, is really hustling more to sell their service and build their guru leadership and market their expertise. And that's the other piece we're really focused on inside MBO Advantage is how we help people get better at that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we're looking at that in Juicy membership as well. Like, we're like, how can we better connect people into small groups that are really meaningful? Mm -hmm. So we're looking at forming like things like accountability groups and really just facilitating these smaller team connections. And I agree with you that that is a huge part of the future. And it's so interesting because, you know, I'm in grad school for Foresight right now and I'm studying the future of education. And that's really something that's very key and the important there will be in, in, in the future of education is very much about being more connected. But of course, it'll also be a lot more connected with technology and a lot more connected with like wearable devices. And just it's it's really fascinating to sit around and just ideate on what's education going to be in 2035? Because I'm so focused on what's the work going to look like in 2035. It's great to see another segment and see how that's influencing this segment. So my point of view on that, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and also discussing it on the State of Independence podcast with our community that follows that future of work thread, mm-hmm. is really the idea that sort of education will be less about just the start, which is, I think, where education is focused right now, like early education and college education.
education to be more about continuous agile Absolutely. learning. And so where and how and what you learn and mm-hmm. how that comes together to be a verifiable part of who you are as a professional, because it's also verification of the, what you say you've learned. A, mm-hmm. Have you learned it? Are you actually competent at it? Mm-hmm. The fact that you got a degree, does that mean you're going to be a strong operator? These are really big and naughty questions in a global mm-hmm. world where, you know, honestly, the competition could come from a country you've never visited, mm-hmm. a person you've never seen could be better at delivering the outcome. And that's frightening, by the way, as well, you know, in a borderless world creates hyper competition mm-hmm. and for talent. Therefore, it creates stress and anxiety and sometimes a lack of focus. Like I'm going to throw myself at any opportunity I can find because I'm afraid mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in fact, there's a different methodology and it may need a little bit more of a careful, focused, step-by-step approach. And not all of us, by the way, have the time for that. So that's a luxury too, mm-hmm. to have the time to think this way. But it's almost as if we need to get really hyper-focused on our purpose, which is a really elevated concept. What we care about, what is a skill or, mm-hmm. or concept? Like for you, it is understanding community in the workforce and co-working as the vehicle. That's your expertise, mm-hmm. right? Something people can hire you mm-hmm. and the design of those spaces and the health of those spaces is something that you're an expert in. So by hyper-focusing and telling that story and then backing it up with the what, what did you do? You are far more likely to get engaged than just to broadly say, okay, I'm somebody who's in the workforce space, Mm -hmm. right? Because then that's not competitive enough. And then there is the piece about innate skills, like like what are your leadership skills? Mm -hmm. What are your contribution skills versus what are your hard skills? And that we talked about with Frida Poli on the State of Independence podcast. I'd really encourage your audience if they're interested. It's a little esoteric, you know, it's sort of Myers-Briggs meets Google. Mm -hmm. But I loved the conversation with her because Mm. it basically, it was a challenge to how we think about how people will enter and engage in the workforce in a tech-enabled world because she's an ethical AI expert. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fascinating. I'm looking forward to listening to that. And you know, so this is actually going to come out before Workplace Trends. So in Workplace Trends, we delve into a little bit on what you're doing around diversity and inclusion, but I want to make sure we cover that today. So can you tell us about the projects you're working on? Sure. So our CEO, Miles Everson, really has a passion for helping MBO to have a position to speak for the talented provider community that we serve. You know, so these are people that are really smart, typical 100K plus contributors. They are working with some of America's top enterprises. Many of them have scaled to own successful firms that have also hired other independents or full-time professionals. So it's an incredible community. And within that community, we have committed to looking at the diversity and inclusion of our population and sharing back our insights on what the challenges are for this independent population more broadly, because we then know they're going to be equally challenging for the diverse workforce. And what is the opportunity that we can unlock in the next 10 years, in this next decade, to bring more of those traditional supplier diversity categories of Asian American of Black firms, Hispanic firms, women-owned firms, veteran-owned firms that the government wants to support, bring more of them to the table and access more opportunity for them. And we're calling that opportunity for all. 
And I have helped to champion the story of our talented providers inside our ecosystem that are of diverse backgrounds and that are really seeking to have impact. If we could look at companies' systems for engaging talent and we could present more of these incredible owners to companies and help them to become certified suppliers, which by the way is their biggest need where mm -hmm. they want to get into the system, but they're just like with everything else, they're small and they're last in line, right? So for the resources, yeah. for the support, they're last in line, but they're very significant to enterprises because they are high talent, high skill contributors. The thing that we want companies to understand is when you think about diversity and inclusion, you often think about the employee, but the reality is that one half of your workforce pretty soon is going to be non-employee, right? Your contributors are not there and they're going to be contributing to your bottom line, but they're not on your payroll in a traditional way. So you have to look over to this side of the house and you have to promote diversity and inclusion in the independent workforce to truly deliver the opportunity of a more diverse workforce. So it's as simple as that. We never looked, we never explained, and we see them not just as talent, we see them as business owners. We see them as America self-employed. So we don't want the support to be designed, like it might not be an employee resource group. We're talking about a disparate group of, but what it might be is, help me to become a certified supplier, help me to access continual learning, Give me opportunities to pitch my business to business, to people inside your firm because I am a certified supplier and I can offer you some unique professional services skill. There's a report that Miles, our CEO, was a part of that was in the professional services space that looked at productivity and professional services. And it's done. It's a report that was authored by somebody called John Carvey and for PwC, which is obviously a major professional services consulting firm. And they're predicting that within professional services, there's going to be a massive increase in gig work. So the data tells us that this is real. Now what we need to do is connect these conversations. Yeah. And that's really where opportunity for all we don't control our clients. It, the decisions they make are their own when we're thinking about our Fortune 500 clients or our providers. But if we can give great information and we can advocate, we can help them each to be more successful in this journey. I love it. I just it just makes so much sense on so many different levels. And I love that you're you're thinking about both sides that we talked about. You know, I mean, MBO is just really coming to the forefront on that. And I really, really appreciate it because it's an area that like everybody knows that they need to be paying attention to and doing something about or in or with, but they're not sure how. So mm -hmm. having people like you just serve it up is amazing and something that's desperately needed in our society. I so. really appreciate that. I love telling the stories of the people inside our ecosystem, but we try to do that on a site called Independence Across America. Mm -hmm. And there's many, many owners of diverse backgrounds that have organically joined the MBO Advantage program. It's not something we recruited or designed for. Mm -hmm. It happened, I think, because the program focuses on support and development. And there were people that needed that. Right. And so we have a lot of women owners. We have a lot of veteran owners. We have a lot of black owners. Mm -hmm. We're trying to increase our Hispanic ownership. We see that that is low and it's a question I have and one I'll be talking about with the community. What is it that le leads to less, at least visible for us, less mm -hmm. independent force workforce engagement for Hispanic mm -hmm. talent? And I don't know what the answer is, but I think it's one worth talking about. Mm -hmm. Does it have to do with language? Does it have to do with role models? 
schools, what could we do differently to bring more of that population into the conversation, given they're such a significant part of our work, of our workforce and our society or population? Exactly right. So, you know, when you start asking the questions, when you start looking at the data, the opportunities present themselves. Yep, they do. They do. It's just that, um, you know, if you focus on the problem, the problem gets bigger. If you focus on the solution, the solution gets bigger. Very nicely said. <laughs> I might have stolen that. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Um, well, we are quickly winding down on time. It's so, it's always just such a time warp when I talk to you all of a sudden, it's like, how did that happen? But, um, I'm just super interested in how MBO is thinking about how co-working fits into the future of work and the buzzy flexible word. Like, where do you guys see it going? Because you talk to both sides, I'm so interested to see what yeah. you think. So the thesis that I have on this, having been very involved in both our data and then what we call the provider side of our business support for those that have set up independent operations is that co-working is going to play a big part in how the future looks for this population. Exactly how that plays out has been impacted by um, COVID-19. And I think it's it challenged some of the assumptions and rapid growth that we saw prior to COVID-19 for, uh, for independent work. But I think the fundamentals stay the same. And I'm like you, I believe optimistically that there will be a rebound and that people will come back to these spaces for a couple of different reasons. One is remote work is fundamentally going to grow and become a very significant part of our workforce. Actually, that tipped, in my opinion, in COVID. So what that says is that there's going to be more and more individuals that need the drop-in spaces and the sense of community that comes with being fundamentally a remote worker, not just a subset of people that had chosen remote work. Mm -hmm. Because remember, the first phase, the first 10 years of this was the remote worker was dedicated and had chosen it. And therefore, they brought a certain kind of energy to everything that they did. Now you've got a lot of reluctant remote workers. And that's actually a very negative energy Mm -hmm. until you tap it and say, what do humans need? in order to be happy, satisfied, positive contributors. And I think co-working from not the business and leasing side, like, you know, the percentage of dollars on space, et cetera. Like, I'm not talking about that side of the the building. I'm talking about the, the authentic, the people like you and many others that like a Jerome or a Tony in the past or whoever, all those initial leaders that were in the space, really thinking about how to scale community connection mm-hmm. and how to scale a model where you monetize the need for a like-minded community in your work or mm-hmm. workplace when you don't necessarily work for one company or you work out of your home and you don't want to work out of your home all the time. So I'll tell you that even personally for me, I've been what you call a remote worker for, for a very long time, ever since. I left my corporate employment at PepsiCo and through each of my startups and through my first um, tenure at MBO until today, I've worked out of a home office and I've been fine with that. But I still continue to crave and had looked at in the middle co-working memberships because Mm -hmm. I started to get to a point where there was a burnout with spending every moment at my desk. At that point, not everyone was at their desk. So it wasn't a 24-7, I need to be on a Zoom call kind of a culture. So I found a great balance. The reason I'm saying this in a personal way is I think each person's story reflects an opportunity that we need to understand. And so by sharing it in a personal way, I want to connect it back to we have a digital nomad culture. We have a culture of remote work becoming fundamentally the reality. We have 
up to 40 million people, 35 this year, 40 because of COVID, we lost some 41 last year, it'll bounce back that will not be in traditional roles. And they still need certain things that came out of traditional work in a physical space, places to collaborate, places to have community. And it cannot all be 100% remote and digitally enabled. I think there is a need for physical space. I think the challenge will be creating the monetization model where a co-working operator can afford to have the right business model to offer this in the right way because space has a cost. And so it it forces, you know, the model of, okay, how many members do I need each month and how many can I afford to churn and all of that, that's probably going to need to be rethought because there might be new mechanisms. Like I know WeWork went in this direction where they pivoted from just the solo person to looking at these firms that needed to outsource a chunk of their real estate. And I think that was smart because now you have a set of people that you're getting from a corporate budget that are helping to sustain you know, the ability to then serve the the nature of the solo operator where they cycle between sometimes full-time work and part-time work. Another way that I think the co-working industry can pitch themselves as very relevant to corporations is really around the idea of a physical membership to a space or a combo of a digital and physical membership being a perk that is just an expectation, just like healthcare is an expectation, that it almost becomes like a right, that like I have a right to have this budget. Now, if I choose it, to you know elevate my home office or buy an RV well that's so be it mm-hmm. but if i choose it to go buy a membership in one of the juicy co-working spaces so that I know I always have a place to go and a set of people to to interact with and a place to do meetings that's quiet and not where my kids are or where my spouse is mm-hmm. because I just need to leave my physical space or I'm young and single and I crave interaction as well as growing in my career that's very powerful, right? So what does that benefit look like? And how does that become something that corporations and co-working spaces work on together? Just like the healthcare industry and the government and, you know, America's employers had a contract that allowed healthcare insurance to become something that we could acquire and yeah. deliver. And it went through the paycheck. Mm-hmm. So is it is it a paycheck thing? I don't know. That's a pretty long-term vision. Uh, but is it a benefit? I hope so. Yeah. You know, and yeah. What does that look like? Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, and, you know, I, it, it wouldn't be a Liz Elam podcast unless I had to bring mental health into it. But, you know, the thing is, is like the most expensive um, health care item on every CEO's bottom line is depression. And sending everybody home to work in isolation is not going to help us. It is going to hurt us. And it is going to be, I mean, it could be part of healthcare is you have to have a certain amount of access to a community because Mm -hmm. it is just so crucial. Like I haven't been able to leave and go work in a communal space in almost two weeks, which is like literally never happened for me. Um, It was partially due to snowpocalypse, but like I'm going today and I'm excited about it because I just need to be around some humans. People. Absolutely. You know, if you think about Myers-Briggs, we're not all, I mean, some of us are introverted. I'm a little more introverted than most, even though I present as more extroverted.
extroverted, but I think I'm comfortable, you know, mm -hmm. recuperating my energy by myself. But that's not the majority of the American workforce. And we know that the majority of the American workforce is actually extroverted yeah. and needs other humans in order to create energy to do productive work. And I don't think that's being talked about right now. I think what's being talked mm -hmm. about is optimizing real estate. You know, right. it's like <laughs> the, the, we're, we're optimizing the spend on real estate, which I get it, you know, it's mm -hmm. what you have to when you've lost a ton of money where's the first place you can go okay we're remote yeah. anyway let's just not go back right? right like that's a it's a natural um thing that a ceo i mean if a ceo wasn't doing that their board would probably go to them and say why are you not doing that when you know when microsoft is doing that or shopify is doing that or salesforce is doing that how come you're not doing that so get it you have to do it but then how do you come back to the middle i know inside mbo we've been very thoughtful about this and there is going to be sort of a hybrid model which does include space that is almost hoteling space to be able to mm -hmm. book and come in as teams and, and even as individuals. Mm -hmm. So it's we're not safely be able to able to open that as yet, but we've identified such a space and it will be launched in our headquarters city. But obviously as we start to grow our remote workforce, you know, I'll certainly be talking to them about, you know, what does that look like if you live in Dallas or Austin or somewhere else where you don't have a physical space, you know, can co-working play a part? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well what a great point to end it on. I could talk to you all day, but I know you have worked to do and I want to be respectful of your time but thank you again for spending more time with us it's such a pleasure and I'm so Always. excited to really you know reintroduce MBO into the co-working community and make sure that everybody is aware of the good work you guys are doing thank you and, and do check out I will send you Liz the link and maybe mm -hmm. you could mention it in your yeah. close the PPP 2021 self-employed destination yes. that we've created because I would say that is time is of the essence Mm -hmm. you know, to get that out and to look at it and to understand what you need to do as a business to get ready. Mm -hmm. So um, please do share that with the community. Yeah, I absolutely will. Thanks again for joining us on another Juicy Podcast. We'll see you Thank soon. You. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Juicy Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and like. We'll be back soon with more Juicy Podcasts. In the meantime, be sure to sign up for our monthly newsletter on gcuc.co. Have a great day. Ciao.